Cookery happened for me because schooling just didn't, academia just didn't click for me at the time, it didn't work. So actually I was looking for anything with my hands. I was working loads during my teen years. I had a milk round and a paper round and a, I worked in Primark and I, on a Saturday and I worked with my dad every other Saturday. Investing in your career over many years, you're just compounding layers upon layers upon layers of <clears throat> experience and education and that stuff never goes away. The foundation doesn't go away and it, and it underpins you. I still want to be connected to the food. It's the bit that makes me really happy. Uh, I still have a very active role and a very, very uh, sort of directional role in the way the food happens at Trinity, what happens with that. The, the guys there are absolutely incredible and they look to me for guidance. So this is 2001, time open, this little tiny restaurant in Clapham, mortgaged the flat that I bought a month ago. Everything's on the line, this little tiny thing in Clapham. Our eating habits are changing. We're demanding better dining experiences and the food market has never been so competitive. Starting and succeeding with a food business is challenging, but some determined and passionate entrepreneurs are flourishing. These people have big dreams, big passion, and big drive. They are disruptors, change makers, and innovators. They see a positive future. Many say that food business is too risky. Some say that it has huge rewards. Are you up for the challenge? Today I had the pleasure of sitting down with Adam Byatt from Trinity Restaurant in Clapham. It's a one Michelin star restaurant. He also has three other establishments, including a partnership in Brown's Hotel in Mayfair. Really interesting story Adam has um, from really, um, I guess, classical trained uh, chef started in Claridge's and worked incredibly hard for 10, 15 years or so. And I think it's quite clear that that has been the strong foundation of his growth and success of his current business. Um, he has some great insights into really getting to a stage where the restaurant is successful. Uh, he's had some, some downs and some, some failures throughout that process, but he's found a way to hone what he's doing um, and be very consumer focused uh, in order to have a business that is uh, commercial and, and works, but also uh, do what he loves to do, which is really create amazing food um, and amazing guest experiences. So it was an absolute pleasure, super successful guy. Um, yeah, hope you enjoy it. So I know cooking and food was in your family uh, quite prominently growing up, your mother being a chef, mm. your grandfather being a cook in the army. Yep. Was that a big influence on you growing up? And how did that influence your career then following that? I don't think it was quite as <clears throat> predominant as, as, as it sort of made out to be. And I guess there was always a sort of notion for me to think about food and, and, and cookery. Mum gave up cookery when, I, when she had me, so, but she still cooked at home and, and was still really relevant. Granddad passed away when I was 18 months old, so I never saw any of that. So actually it wasn't kind of that prominent. And cookery, actually, it was around, but cookery happened for me because schooling just didn't, academia just didn't click for me at the time, it didn't work. So actually I was looking for anything with my hands. And I was working loads during my teen years. I had a milk round and a paper round and a, I worked in Primark and I, on a Saturday and I worked with my dad every other Saturday. And then all through the school holidays, worked with my dad. So I was just working all the way through my teen years, really. <clears throat> um, and so kind of, it was always going to be a, a sort of a, a hands job, a job you know, where I would use my hands. So, sure. um, and food felt right. Um, I enjoyed the time in the kitchen with mum. And that sort of, so it sort of felt quite natural. Okay. Um, <coughs> did you cook a lot growing up? Or kind of were you developing recipes yeah. at that level? Or no. was it just, just enjoying no, eating food? No, I was into it. Yeah. it. It was 12, 13, 14, 15. I was into it. Yeah. I was, yeah, I got recipe books and I, I cooked at home. I made a beef wellington at home. And all this. I remember that kind of stuff, but not, not ridiculous. But I did, sure. did cook at home, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned the paper round. Yeah. And so you're kind of a little bit into business to an extent as well at that stage. Like I just, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get out and um, I enjoyed earning money from a young age. I enjoyed earning money. I, yeah. I, ended, I used to do 
wash cars, wash cars, you know, get paid for that. Then I had all my young mates, this is like 11, 12, 13, all my mates coming with me and they would wash cars for me and I would take a little bit of their money from them and I was like, oh, hang on, this is, you know, sure. earning, I liked earning a, a few quid. Sure, you know? so you're getting the buzz out of it as well as Yeah, yeah. So did you know at that stage or think at that stage that you wanted to have a restaurant? Or was it just more kind of, I want to cook and I want to be around food? Oh, no, no. And then see where it goes? <clears throat> no, generally no, no idea what I wanted to do at that point. I wanted okay. to go, I wanted to, to get a job. I was quite happy with what was going on, actually. We, I mean, we went to a careers open day that you have to do. Uh, Mum took me there. There was a sort of a <clears throat> Dagenham Motors. There was the National Health Service. There was this. And then there was a Savoy Education Trust, which, which had the group of hotels at the time, the Barclay, the Connaught. Savoy, Claridge's, and, uh, and they said, there was no queue actually, there was no queue there. So I headed there and, uh, and, and, we, and, and she said, we've got, we've got an apprenticeship at, at Claridge's Hotel. Might not mean anything to me at the time. Um, <clears throat> so uh, long, long story short, we took it. And, and, I, and mum took me up there, did the interview. Um, and I was still 15 at the time. I did my day's trial at Claridge's Hotel and uh and i've got offered an apprenticeship and that that started the the next four and a half years of my life okay i know you're well, starting with the apprenticeship but you're very classically trained <coughs> even following that and you had amazing mentors yep. with john williams and yep. phil howard so starting claridges and then going to savoy yeah or the berkeley sorry yeah and then going to the square yeah how do you think that kind of set you up and also I guess comparing it to today where it's a bit more of a faster process mm -hmm. and people are moving up that ladder very quick. Mm -hmm. How do you think that's kind of put you in good stead and laid the strong foundations for where you are now? I think it's, I think it's <clears throat> really, really important that slowly just, you know, investing in your career over many years, you're just compounding layers upon layers upon layers of <clears throat> experience and education and that stuff never goes away the foundation doesn't go away and it, and it underpins you and I think there's a lot of people that just don't have that a lot of young chefs these days they don't have that foundation and it is a worry you know yeah. but I think spending four and a half years at Claridge's with the Academy of Culinary Arts on that that course that I did with them was just think that's the foundation of all of my cookery now okay so, okay yeah, really and what, what about then the mentors so, so what about John and Phil like so I started what did they there with specifically so I started at Claridge's with under a chef called Mario Lesnick, who was brilliant. Um, but it was John Williams who was the senior suit at the time and then came back to be the executive chef at Claridge's. And, and he was sort of my culinary father, if you like, my mentor, someone I could, he, someone that understood me and got, got me and invested time into me, saw something in me, I think. And, and, and I really, I latched onto that. Mm. I hadn't had that, I hadn't had grown up people outside of my family unit investing in me or taking time in me ever. Mm. So the first time that someone ever did that, I sort of latched on. I thought, okay, this is great. This guy's gonna show me lots. And he, and he really did. He took the time to care for me and, and show me and saw something in me. And that, and that went on to pay off. Okay. So he was a really important part of my educational life. But he taught me more, more so much about discipline and organization and working in a huge team of people and respect and respect for ingredients and cookery and mm. to love cookery. Mm. Um, the relationship with Phil Howard and the square and all that sort of side of it is completely different. That was much more, I was, by then I was a 21, 22 year old young man. I'd cut my teeth. I kind of knew where I was in a kitchen. I got it all. And working at the square was a place where I really fell in love with cookery. Mm and food and restaurants and that was the first time I'd ever been immersed in that and I really fell in love with it I thought it was brilliant okay. um, and Phil was just Phil Phil as much as Phil was a, a mentor he really worked like that he was just a an inspirational figure at that time in my life and I just thought that guy that's he, he's got it right the way he treats people the way he looks at food the way he treats food um, the business that he runs his values Sure. So it was a lot more than just kind of cooking skills or food. It was for developing sure. you as a person and, and, a, for and sure. a mindset. For and, sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what about the, the business side of things? So when did that develop in you? Was it kind of when you were working under people, um, or was it something that kind of yeah, you, you I, learned yourself? Or I mean, you got that all the way up to twenty, sort of twenty-five. I'd never, I didn't know. I just cooked. 
I didn't do anything from 15 to 25. I, 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 didn't, cook, I didn't do anything, I just cooked. Mm. So I didn't know anything about business or buying stuff or I'd done some orders at the square or ordered some stuff, ordered some food, put a few invoices in perhaps. That's it, that was the whole extent of it. Mm. We then, I then left the square um, and ended up doing a, a restaurant with Phil Howard in, in Fulham. Um, being in charge of this restaurant was inside a photographic studio, so it was a kind of, it was there for a couple of years. It was good fun. We had good fun doing it. We did a lovely thing, but I was in charge of it. A very small operation. But all of a sudden, you've sort of got a bit of charge. You're starting to sort of see a little bit more about numbers, and so that was a little bit of immersion into it. And then uh, Phil, I, and uh, lots of other people opened uh, a chain of juice bars in, um, in four or five sites across London. Um, doing wholesale and all out of a CPU central production unit, <clears throat> um, and I was heading that up. So, all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, I was going to board meetings, looking at PLs, having to respond to people on a by by email. Well, that was dial up in those days, not a, not like it is now. Um, and so, I sort of started to get a feel for it, and then uh, after a little bit of time, I just thought I want to open my own restaurant. Uh, okay. I, I need to be back in the sort of fast-paced, high-end cooking environment sure, <coughs> sure. arena, and uh, and and I and I went about went about that journey, having okay. no real idea how to do it. Okay, but I guess doing the juice bars and having people beside you who'd been there, done that before, yeah. it was a nice transition into doing hmm. your own thing. All of a sudden, yeah. you're sort of sitting in a boardroom with some really grown-up, well-off, grown-up, very experienced business people sitting, and 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 I've always surrounded myself with people that are genuinely you know at another level than me and so and, I, and i'm very good at absorbing off of that and, yeah. and sort of taking that in and, and 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 taking what i can from it um so definitely washed off okay yeah. and that surrounding yourself with people or experience mm. is that a very conscious decision yeah or something it is okay yeah so you actively look for people yeah. who are i know I've done, i know that i've done that my whole life since i so since i moved out of home okay i know for sure that i've sought out people who are you know, who've got skills that I don't have, or, or they're they're in a better financial position, or they've got much more experience in business, or they've got experience in things that I don't have. I've definitely sought out to be amongst those kind of people and relished in that challenge. I think some people would shy away from that, and I've because I'm a bit of I'm a I'm a survivor, if you like. So I, if I immerse myself in a situation that is way I'm out of my depth, generally I'm going to learn to swim quickly. Okay, and and then I can sort of dance amongst those people and actually I will get get something from that. Okay. And I've Sounds definitely like you enjoyed that I've as consciously well. done that all my life. Yes. I think my dad said to me, you know, you will only be as good as the people you surround yourself by. Ooh. And it's a very simple piece of advice. But actually it's very true. Ooh. You know, and, and mainly because I was hanging around with a load of hooligans and yeah. going nowhere at the age of you know, fourteen. So I think that's partly why I said it. But I but I think it's very true. Absolutely. I think another one is you become the average of the five people you hang around with most. I like that. As well. I'll take that. Yeah. Good, yeah. Like and that. I think that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. And now I only have five or four friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Yeah. So let's move on to the first restaurant then. It was Time, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know it was, it was kind of ups and downs. So you yeah. started successfully in yeah. location and then you moved yeah. and kind of things went down here a little bit, yeah. I guess more because of location. Yeah. Tell us about that um, in terms of the process, how you dealt with the move and then the decline in sales mm -hmm. and then the ultimate, I guess, closure of that. Mm -hmm. um, how did you deal with that yourself? So, st so this is 2001, time open, this little tiny restaurant in Clapham. I'd you know, gone and got a lawyer. I'd, I'd mortgaged the flat that I bought a month ago, my first ever flat with my wife, mortgaged that 110% mortgage to buy the restaurant. So everything's on the line, this little tiny thing in Clapham, and, and it just went, it went off the charts. It went brilliant. Um, it went from literally doing nothing to, to you know, huge amounts. Put, didn't make much money, but it put me on the map, it got people talking about me, it got me, you know, front cover of the caterer, all this stuff. But we won a lot of awards and a lot of, and you start to get a bit of notoriety and, mm. and, and traction. Three and a half years passed, it was going well, but we weren't particularly making any money. <coughs> I was earning less than I did as a comic at Clarity's actually, but I was having a ball. Mm. And, uh, and, and we're cooking some great food, it was really good <coughs> fun. And then um, the hospital club in Common Garden um, came along. Offered us to offered us to come and, and build, uh, transfer time to that that inside their brand new 
members club on the on the first floor. Uh, an opportunity again. Yeah, that's just an amazing opportunity. And I think partly what, as I just saying, I'm now get I now get to operate inside this incredible thing amongst these serious operators. Mm. Paul Allen was the owner. Dave mm. Stewart from Eurythmics was one of the owners, and, um, and 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 some really high-level exec people that I thought this, this has got to help trampoline us forward, right? Mm. So did the deal. Pretty bad deal, as you do when you're 26, 27, and uh, and you know what? It was, but I, I mean, moved and it was. It, it never sort of turns out as you think it's going to turn out. We did the best we could with it. We were very inexperienced. You know, we went from there was just there was just ten of us at time in Clapham, ten people, and we went to 110 staff overnight. Wow. We were catastrophically underfunded to be able to deal with that. The turnover levels were six figures on a weekly basis, way above six figures on a weekly basis. It was, you know, to be doing that when you're 28, it was pretty. It was pretty hardcore, yeah. and um, and a lot of stuff to, to juggle. You know, there's a lot of moving parts in a business like that, and the deals were complicated, and we were operating the food and beverage for the club upstairs. Um, but I learned so much, you know, and ultimately it didn't work, and and we ended up having to liquidate that whole company and put it into administration, pay off all the suppliers, um, and look after the staff as much as we could. And it was a very difficult time. It was mm. the loneliest I've ever been in my life. It was very, very strange. Quite amazing to be, you know, surrounded by all these things. You've got, you know, s people are interested in you and interested in what's going on. They want, you know, everyone wants a piece of the thing. And the moment it goes, what, bang. They walk away. It's like looking around thinking, what's, what's happened here? Mm. This is, I'm like standing on, on Clapham Common on my own. Mm. It's quite bizarre. Yeah. It's a very lonely place to be and we had our house mortgaged, we had the whole thing. So it was a very tenuous time. And, um, but I don't, I don't, obviously I regret it because it was a difficult thing to do, to go through. But I don't regret it in a lot of ways because it really taught me, it taught me loads. Um, it taught, that was my business degree, <laughs> if sure. you like. Sure. Um, the school of hard knocks. Yeah, yeah. it really was. Very good. And since then, you know, the, we've never had a problem with money and cash flow and uh, profitability and being being a robust business first and foremost has always been the priority for me and everything else takes second mm. uh, second fiddle. And, and, and that has been a good philosophy for me and it's worked and, and I'm still here, so. Very good. <laughs> What's the biggest thing you learned from, from that business? Um, well, I get, uh, Partly to trust your instincts because with the moment they the hospital club arrived and the deal was landed on my desk I immediately felt it was the wrong thing to do. Okay, but the trappings the mist of youth The bright <coughs> lights uh, Very hard, you know not making any money in Clapham. This mm. is a great opportunity very hard to Yesterday I turned down a deal actually yesterday. I turned down the biggest deal of my life yesterday mm. and, uh, <coughs> and 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 actually I might, I might regret it, I might not. I feel happy about the decision I made, but it was a difficult thing to do. And mainly I made that decision because I just felt that there were some bits, there were some hospital-esque bits in there and it was an instinct thing sure. that just didn't sit quite right. And it was the same feeling I had then and I just thought, no. Sure. Not that I'm, I'm not risk adverse, I've done loads of stuff since. Yeah. That, so I'm not, I am, but I'm just more conscious about when I make those decisions. Sure, and you have that intuition um, now built up from experience. Yeah, so. and, and actually, one of the things I, I tend to do now, when, I do, when we, you go through a process of somebody comes along with an opportunity or a deal or whatever you want to call it, generally it's an opportunity, right? And either there's, like a, there's chemistry, really positive chemistry from day one, it all feels really natural, the deal goes through with no dramas, everyone's on the same page, and I generally just walk through those kind of deals and opportunities and do them a lot. If there's any form where it's really awkward to get over the line or it's you have to keep going back over the same points. So you can, generally, how that, how that relationship starts out, it's only gonna multiply times that. So if it starts out in a really positive, energetic, everyone's on the same page way, generally, it's going to, in my experience, they're gonna end up being like that in a mul multiple. If it starts out awkward and a little bit difficult and hard to do and hard to, hard to come together, the lease doesn't quite work, there's too many restrictions on the site, all this kind of sort of stuff. Generally, that's going to multiply, and in five years' time, you're going to be in a 
much much worse place absolutely. so i tend to walk away absolutely i completely agree mm. that's almost like a, a date in a marriage isn't it yeah if it the is. date isn't quite right, right it's going to get worse and worse it's going that's to accentuate right. yeah. yeah interesting okay so let's move on to trinity so mm. so how did you get that up and running in the first place so you're financially wiped out to an extent yeah mentally you're trying to pick yourself back up again yeah um and you take a knock kind of yeah. professionally to an extent yeah. how do you get up and running again like physically and then mentally and build it up again Mentally, mentally, quite easily because there was no plan B. Yeah, I, I ha I've got no choice. I have a mortgage. I have a child, a young child. I have a wife dependent on me. But there's no plan B. There's no trust fund here, right? Mm. So this is this is what you're going to do. You either the choices are I either go and now take a head chef job somewhere. No, no great shakes, um, but I could see, I could see very clearly that in the, by the time I was sort of 40, I would be a sous chef in a five-star hotel in London. Not that that's a problem, mm. that's a, a fantastic job. But it wasn't the job that I wanted. That's not where I wanted to be. And so I thought, no, I need to have one more crack at this. And, um, but I did apply for some jobs and I just thought, and I, so I didn't go to the trials and stuff and I just thought, I've been on my own for the last six years, it's very difficult to, um, thankfully there was interest in me. But I didn't go to the jobs and I, and I didn't do it and I just thought, no, I need to give this a go again. I stayed on at the hostel <coughs> and did hostel club in, in, in Common Garden, did another year with them, uh, opened a new restaurant in the same site, <coughs> but I was employed, so I wasn't, so I was on the payroll, <coughs> which is quite a strange thing to do, but um, did that, and, <coughs> excuse me, while we were doing that, uh, a friend of mine told me that there was a site come up in Clapham, again, a site that I'd always really quite liked, <coughs> quite out of the way, a little bit different, um, at the time, and so I, I, I just took a, took a gamble. I emailed the restaurant uh, and just said, look, I'm looking for a site. Um, heard you're looking to sell. Are you interested in having a coffee? Okay. An email come back and uh, just said, hi, I, I know who you are. Um, my name's Angus, let's have a, let's have a coffee. Okay. Um, we didn't have a coffee, we had a beer, and then we had loads more beer. <laughs> and, uh, and, we, and we sat down and we drank loads and we chatted loads, and that night we did a deal. And I was very transparent about what I could bring to the party. Um, uh, equally, he was he was the landlord of the of the freehold of the, the operation, operating a restaurant inside a building that he owned. Uh -huh. He wanted to finish that operation and go and do something else. And I wanted a new lease of life, so we did a joint venture. Essentially, we took a new we took a we opened a company, took a lease on his property of the restaurant, and um, and we started to trade and. He did what he did, and and I and I operated the restaurant. Um, okay. We took some debt. He put money. I put money, and we and we did what we could. And um, with a very, but my very, my sole aim, as I said, was was to make sure this was a robust business first and foremost. Mm. Accolades, stars, and notoriety. That was second wind. That's not that's not a priority right now. Right now, this has to be a a full dining room and has to work. Sure. And I, I did what I knew best, which which was just to cook. Okay. So I cooked my socks off okay. Um, yeah okay and did he work alongside you on the business side of things or did you have somebody else working on that at that time yeah Angus was, Angus is a non-exec of the business yeah. um, he's not day-to-day -day, he's not operational um, but he's always been an absolutely brilliant person in business for me to help me guide me through that side of it sure. I do most of it now but I still go I still talk to him about stuff we everything is I only have this company and it's our company and um, so everything I do, I, if I'm not sure about something, I will ring him and sound check him about it and he'll give me some advice on it. And he deals with lots of other bits and pieces in the business that are quite tedious and quite time consuming that would take away my time and not make my time very effective. Sure. Um, and he's got, he's got a very, you know, very wise take on a lot of the stuff in business. So he's very helpful for me in that regard. Okay. Yeah, he's been brilliant for me. Okay. Yeah. And what about the other, I guess, the other operational size of yeah. the business? So you're fully focused on food, you were saying at the beginning, mm. which makes sense. Mm -hmm. What about front of house and, I don't know, even back of house systems and payroll and things like that? Did you just recruit into that position or did you have somebody supporting on the business side? Um, yeah, we just, we just, made it happen we okay. bought in we had an ex we had a uh, an accountancy firm a payroll a, a, a bookkeeping firm externally yep. so all that was outsourced yep. for us a company called top source that I've been working with for 15 years brilliant and send all send all the stuff to them 
So that was sort of took care of all the VAT, PAYE, payroll, supplier, uh, debtors ledger, and all that kind of all that side of it was all taken care of by by Top Source. Um, but I oversaw everything for that, so it was quite an immersion into that side of it. Um, and then on the operational side, the day-to-day, I kind of had a pretty good idea. I'd run restaurants enough at that time. I had a good idea and surrounded myself with great people on the front side. Okay. I took much more of an interest in the front of house, uh, the wine, the service, the operation, and, and wanted like-minded people that wanted to give service like I wanted and, and, and do it from that perspective. And, and we brought some brilliant people in, um, some people that have worked at the hospital with me, um, some people I've worked with before to run the front side but literally it was me as the head chef and, and, and another person as restaurant manager that was it okay and, and i had three three boys in the kitchen and three out front and that's it okay that's where we started simple as that okay so um, then how it's a bit different now yeah, i'm sure exactly i was going to ask <laughs> yeah. like, so how yeah. has your role in particular changed mm-hmm. now you've got four mm-hmm. businesses four mm-hmm. restaurants operating mm-hmm. uh, you've got a big team around you your successful business is running smoothly mm-hmm. how has your role specifically changed and how consciously I guess, do you maximize your time so you're effective in each place? Yeah, this is the really tricky bit because no, nobody teaches you that part. Mm. <clears throat> I, I was a very, you know, cooked at Trinity, f- uh, I don't know. Trinity went through a transition. It's important to understand this part of it first. We did this, we did Trinity for six years, from 2006, 2012. In 2012, we then, had in, we'd paid off our debts and we had we had a little bit of slush, so we opened around another restaurant called Bistro Union. Um, great, successful, still going now. Brilliant restaurant, we love it. Three years later, we're nine years into Trinity. I'm still cooking full time, like all the hours possible, to try and do my thing. I'm still on on the stove nine years in, and we're we're achieving. It's a good restaurant. It's solid. Business is robust. Like I said. And it, it's a really good business and, and, a, and, and the food's great, it's got great notoriety and it's working. But nine years in, it's starting to sort of dilapidate slightly, it's getting a bit tired and it's kind of where do we, where do we go with this thing now because, you know, what, what happens now? And the key thing is that we then made a really big decision to invest um, a huge amount of money, <clears throat> close the business for four months, redo the whole business, build a flat on the top, build a new restaurant above Trinity, redo the whole concept of the whole thing. Truth of the matter was, we were gonna make it, well, I was probably going to, at that point, move out to, to, to the country with my kids and go and open a pub there and kind of remotely operate Trinity. I'd sort of kind of done with the fine dining thing and sort of felt it wasn't quite right. So we sort of built it more in what you'd now see as the Ivy Cafe. We sort of built it a little bit that style about three quarters of the way through this four month project, I was sort of think, sitting there thinking, <clears throat> no, this is not right. The kitchen, I made, I made the kitchen in there and I just kind of made the kitchen really beautiful. And the dining room was looking stunning and I just had this sort of moment, I went back in and all the builders had gone home and a dust sheet and I was sitting in this thing thinking, I've invested so much of my time into this. I'm gonna, and I rang my business partner and said, I want to, I'm going to go for it again and try and put this restaurant right up there and make it what it is and, um, and and be the best we can possibly be so that that plan is now out the window which you supported um, and then 10 months later we 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 we, we opened and 10 months later we achieved a star and the whole restaurant the 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 ethos the viewpoint the the way we worked all changed and we achieved a star and everything kind of just springboarded from there really sure so my so then to get to where to how my relationship and how I work with the business now, that's important to understand that. So I did that refurbishment and then spent the next two years fully immersed and fully grafting on the stove doing that, achieving what we've achieved today at Trinity. So you're sort of, now you're sort of 11 years in and then Bistro Union's open, Upstairs is open, Trinity's open, the thing's going great. And now you need to sort of step back slightly. Somebody needs to be a head chef in the restaurant to allow me to step back slightly to see it, to be able to, I kind of wanted to, I find it very difficult to, to motivate and support and, and be that, that source of positive energy and growth for, for, for the individuals that work there when I'm totally immersed on the stove. Mm. That is like really difficult to mm. do. There are some chefs that can do that. 
I'm not one of them. I find that very difficult. I'm just completely immersed. central focused, immersed in the food. And that's all I really, and it's very difficult to give the time that is really required, properly required when you're, do, when you're doing that to the payroll, to the VAT, to the development of other individuals in the business, to looking at the minute parts of the business that are actually costing a shed load of money and mm. you know, can, can, we can make some serious savings and, and, and work better, work more efficiently, make a better guest experience, improve the restaurant. It's very hard to do all of that and be the guy on Absolutely. And I'm not very good at being, I can't dip in and out of kitchens. I'm either, it, when I'm in the kitchen, I'm in the kitchen, that's, my, that's sure. me. Sure. I'm not, I can't sort of dip in and make something and dip out again and sort of pretend sure. I'm involved. It doesn't really work like that. So okay. I, took a, I took a conscious decision, which was one of the hardest things I've ever done, to, to sort of step back slightly, put a head chef in place, and then make a year-long transition uh-huh. back from that. I still work at Trinity. I still work sort of four shifts a week, five shifts a week at Trinity. Wow. Um, but and I do a shift upstairs, four shifts of Trinity, a shift upstairs, and now obviously my time with Browns as well came mm. along. So my time, I still want to be connected to the food. It's the bit that makes me really happy. Mm. Uh, I still have a very active role and a very, very uh, sort of directional role in the way the food happens at Trinity, what happens with that. The, the guys there are absolutely incredible and they look to me for guidance. I'm busier probably than I ever have been I'm more mentally stimulated than I ever have been, but I'm also really enjoying the stuff where I'm developing people, developing the guest experience, supporting the kitchen team, looking at ways that we can operate better, looking at ways that we can grow the company, looking strategically three months down the road rather than looking at next week, actually looking at where are we going in this business in three months, six months, nine months, where, where is this going and what are we sure. doing with it? And um, that, I've really enjoyed that part of it. But I've had to sort of learn that and make it up myself. Yeah. No, no one sat there and gone, okay, this is, this is what's going to happen next. You know, I don't, I don't have an appraisal with anyone. Yeah, I have yeah. an appraisal myself in the, in the mirror. You know, it's quite a strange, it's quite a difficult thing to do. I yeah. probably should do some business courses, but yeah. it seems to work, you know. Very good, very good. What, what is it you think kind of fuels you or drives you? So you mentioned you were nine years at the stove in Trinity for the first mm. nine years, and now you're saying you're still doing four, five mm-hmm. shifts and everything else. Mm-hmm. Like what is it fundamentally you think is keeping me going? Like, is it a vision, something you're driving f- towards, or is it more kind of, I guess, simpleness just to, 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 to run think a successful a, business? Yeah, I just don't, I don't want to, uh, uh, fear of failure. Okay. That, that never goes away. I'm not, I'm never could get to a point where I could be complacent enough to say, look, we're sorted now. I can just, you know, pop into the restaurant one day a week. And I know full well that if you take that attitude, game over sure that that is you've got a very you'd get a year out of it you'd get a year and then and then after that you would be in an absolute mess so i don't want to fail i I want my business to be as brilliant as it possibly can be Uh, i'm very conscious about the fact that there is 62 staff the business is you know is very is responsible for their livelihood there's there's four directors of the business there's two part two owners and four directors i'm responsible for providing you know enough income to keep those four people uh, happy in the business and 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 we've and also I've invested most of my life into this thing mm. I had no 20s mm. I gave my, the industry took all of my 20s no mm. friends no parties no holidays no nothing I had nothing mm. and I can't even remember half of it so I sort I gave I've given 30 years I've been doing this now but definitely the, the decade of my 20s chum, gone mm. just gone with no I can't remember no, nothing and uh, and I and I I don't want to lose that investment you know mm. makes sense yeah. okay so um, you mentioned after success at Trinity you went and you opened for well, three more places now you're running they're all different styles of concept mm-hmm. did you ever consider building a brand and, and kind of scaling up one particular concept? Or sort is it always of. To, to do different yeah, things? I, I know what you mean. All four restaurants are, they all, the, thing, the thing about the, the three in Clapham, Trinity is the fine dining Michelin star, that's the destination restaurant, There's a mar- that's a market, that there is a, a captured market and we, we do that. There's only really us and Chez Bruce that quite close by, another amazing restaurant, but it's only really us that, that's, that, that's our little market. Yeah. Bistro Union 
we're actually upstairs above Trinity's, the casual dining. I love that little market we got there. That's those are the sort of those are people who just glass of wine, plate of food, go to cinema, date night, group of girls, all sorts of stuff like that. It's 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 got there's a whole other casual dining market. Bistro Union was really born out of I love this fine dining, I love what we do at Trinity, I love this level of what we do, but I also really like to make fish pie. And I really like to make shepherd's pie and I like to make toad in the hole and I, I like to make a burger and you know, because that stuff's delicious, right? There's a mm. load of joy to be had from a beautiful fish pie. Mm. And any chef that sits there and tells you that's not true, it's all about hawk cuisine, is, is talking rubbish. I love cooking that kind of stuff. I just don't want to cook it every day. That's mm. not what I want to do every day. But there's a huge market that loves that kind of food. So we opened a restaurant that was about a sort of British neighborhood restaurant. And actually, this worked and it got traction. It was in a pretty, Abbeville Road is, is a very beautiful part of Clapham. It's a lovely little street, but it is very much off the beaten track. So the traction and the footfall is quite low. So it was never going to sort of change the world, that restaurant, but it was always going to be a lovely little offshoot for us. And we, we toyed for many years to try to go, okay, what do, this, is, this is scalable. The food is all, the food you could scale, definitely. The brand was good. The, the, everything was right and primed to scale, actually. But the moment we, and we talked to some VC companies, we talked to, we had people who approached us to do it. We approached some people, we wanted to do it ourselves. We looked at investment to do it ourselves. We really looked into it, actually. It terrified me when I got quite under the skin of it, because I just thought, I don't want to roll out a restaurant chain. That just sounds mm. horrible. Mm. And, um, and it was very much at the time whereby Bills was opening, Coat was just starting, Bills and maybe Jamie's Italian. That, all of those restaurants, were, that, that was all starting to really happen. And what happened was we, we would approach 2,000 square foot sites in relatively prime footfall locations and just get nailed immediately by Bills would come in and drop another 50 grand on the table. Or, Coat would come in and just wipe us out because of their covenant and their background. And so we just could not get a leg into any of these sites that we wanted. Mm. This went on for a few years. We had agents retained for us and everything. Um, and we just couldn't get anywhere. We mm. could not get the sites or without paying an amount of money mm. that just didn't make any sense unless sure. we were going to open 50 of these. And actually we just wanted to open like one and then maybe one next year, one next year and perhaps get to five and make it really beautiful business. Um, no, no real kind of massive ROI exit plan or anything like that, just, just to do something great. So actually in the end we just didn't do it. We just stayed with Bistro Union and operate it as best we can and it, it, it does perfectly fine. It's fine for us. Okay. Um, so, and I'm quite glad in some ways because actually when you look at what happened to all of that site, all that stuff now, I know that it would have ended up being like that and I didn't really want to be part of that. Okay. It doesn't interest me. It's, okay. it's not, not quite. Sure, makes sense. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about Brown's Hotel Zone, the partnership yeah. there. It's yeah. a relatively recent thing. Yeah. Um, first of all, what drove your decision to do that, take that role? Uh, how is it different to what you've done already? Um, yeah, and how is that kind of working at the moment? Well, it's very different because it's in some, inside somebody else's property and, and that, that is a, that's a new experience for me entirely. Yeah. There's a few things that drove the decision. Reaching that point at Trinity whereby Okay, now I'm either going to stand on that stove until I'm until I can't stand here anymore in my sixties, or this is gonna, or we're going to have to grow somehow. I'm gonna, but if I come off the if I come off the stove, I'm not just gonna pop in every now and then. I need to come off the stove and do something else, or or don't do anything else. You know, it sort of there was a big sort of it was a bit of a thing in my life, and I had talked to Brown's Hotel. I did. Uh, guest chef with the wonderful Tom Kitchen in in Vegura Resort in Sicily for four years, three or four years. Um, so got to know the the Roccaforte family and Lydia a little bit. Um, enjoyed my time with them. Loved their hospitality, um, the way they pronounce hospitality. And um, so we talked. Actually, it didn't work out. We talked pre Heinz Beck, post Mark Hicks. It wasn't right for me at the time. Wasn't right for them. It never went anywhere, but it was all all good. And then I think sort of fast forward 18 months, I was now in that place going, okay, I can do something else now. Um, so we were probably either going to open another restaurant or this came along and it made me take stock and say, okay, that's what we're going to do. 
there's a head chef going to cut. You know, my, my sous chef who's been with me for seven years is now going to become the head chef. The one underneath is now going to become the senior sous chef. My role in all this is going to change. I'm going to do this. It's going to be good for the business, I hope. And, um, and it has been. Okay. Um, so kind of all fit together. Kind yeah, of it's sense, helped like me evolve. I guess what I'm saying is it's helped me evolve my position within Trinity sure. and be seen in upstairs. It's helped me evolve that per- to become the person I want to be sure. in that. <clears throat> and then the conscious stuff about Browns was all positive, all about, okay, this, is, this gets me into Mayfair without any CapEx, right? Yeah. This, this, gets me, this gets me into a, a very large, successful, amazing company where I will learn loads. And I've been doing this for 19 years on my own. I don't get taught anything. I don't go on any courses. I, don't, I fudge my way through and it all seems to just about work. Maybe I can learn something. Maybe I can look at the systems and the procedures, the efficiencies and the, the way they do things and, 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 and apply a little bit to my business. Maybe I can sound check some of what we do in our business against that and see if we're good. Um, but also just nice to be able to grow myself and my brand and what we do uh, into another environment and cook another sort of style of food. And I really enjoyed that part of it. Then, of course, there's also the progression side for my team. So the team's, at that point, the team's pretty swollen with some seriously talented individuals. What's going to happen, right? What's going to, if there's a ceiling, they're just going to move on and become someone else's amazing talent, right? Yeah. So I have, to, um, I have to provide growth and, 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 and development and infrastructure for them. So this was a great opportunity to do that as well. So lots of those guys have gone on to be, you know, gone on to take senior roles at Browns, which allows more people underneath at Trinity and Bistro up to come up as well. Sure. So it's development and growth for the company, development growth for me, brilliant location, great to work with an amazing company like Rocket Forte Hotels. And I think most importantly, I knew I could make an impact on that business. Sure. Okay, makes sense. Very good. Uh, let's talk about food. We've got to talk about food. Please. Um, so in terms of, I guess, your menu development process, obviously you've got a vast repertoire and experience. How do you practically come up with a new dish? Like, are you consumer focused to a large extent? Or is it kind of just a natural progression of a menu? Or is it just seasonally? Or, or what, what factors it's go a little, that? It's a little bit of all of those things. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's categorically guest consumer focused mm. that is the, the driving force behind what we put on the menu anywhere is me thinking about that guest sat on table four getting served that plate of food and what do they feel about it mm. how do they what do they feel about that plate of food when faced with the bill so how do they feel about it in value for money is it delicious does it bring joy and happiness and and and, and, and is it delicious and you know, all those things, that's definitely where it comes from. But in terms of sort of the, in terms of the innovation side, <clears throat> what, what's really interesting is that, I guess when you're young, you just cook, you cook in other people's restaurants, you start your own restaurant, you cook a version of that, cook a version of what you've learned, it's very natural. Then you basically just cook, you don't know, you just cook all this crazy food because you've got access to the world larder and you just cook everything that's in front of you and and you slowly trying to sort of develop what your style of food is. Mm. And I've never been very good at kind of going, okay, this is this is my food. I'm not, you know, I'm not really like that. I just cook what I think is delicious and sometimes it's a little bit rustic. Sometimes it's really, really refined and sometimes it's kind of... So I've never been brilliant at that side of it, but I'll always... I just cook really, it genuinely does come from the right place. Everything I cook is cooked because I know it's gonna be delicious and I love cooking it and I enjoy the ingredients and the process. Um, but one really nice thing happened really, I guess over sort of four or five years ago, where I just got to a point where I, I just felt so happy and so confident in what we do and how we treat food that that repertoire just honed itself in and became the repertoire that I now carry that I love and adore and everything stems from that. And it makes it so much easier for me to just, I can, I sit, I'm like a recipe machine. I sit there sometimes, I have to write recipes for, like a menus for four different restaurants, spring menus. Okay, that's, that's, that's a day and a half's work. It's like a lot of menus to write. If you think about in-room dining at Browns, canapes at Browns, afternoon tea at Browns, bistro union, 
set menu for spring, the upstairs set menus, the upstairs feasting menus, the Trinity a la carte menu. You sit there and write all those menus. Basically, it all comes from the same sort of headspace, but they're all different for different markets. Sure. But the repertoire of how we treat asparagus, or we treat a chicken, or how we treat a pork shoulder, or what we do with a, we're always going to serve blood oranges and rhubarb with a version of, you know, and that, we're very comfortable with what where the food is and what and that is very important. Mm. That has been a really a real relief. So there isn't too much innovation that needs to happen. I'm not yeah. particularly interested in innovation. I'm interested in what we do, doing it better than we did last year, sure. refining it, buying it better, cooking it even cleaner and simpler, taking another thing off the plate and making it even simpler and even, you know, sure. and actually now our food is pretty simple, but incredibly difficult to do. Sure, sure. Mm. It almost sounds like it's a kind of a, a funnel approach, yeah. I guess, in the kind of yeah. the longer term, and then yeah. for a dish as well. So you yeah. start the very broad, and then you yeah. get very narrow, and then you have your thing, and yeah. then for a dish as well, you kind of start yeah. broad and rustic, and then you refine it. For sure, yeah. it's exactly like that. Okay. And when I sort of say, say to the boys in, in Trinity, okay, let's let's do this red bonnet dish with some bouillabaisse sauce, very simple, and I'll give them that direction, and yeah, okay, great, the season's right for that. Okay, go, they'll produce produce something. And generally speaking, not so much anymore, but generally, all I would do is walk in and take five things off the plate and leave them with the two core components and say, eat that. And that's the essence of the dish. That's the heart of the dish. That's what you're giving your guest. Anything you would then add to that is a dilution, in my opinion. So sure. let's not add, you know, it has, to, it has to justify its place on the plate. Sure. And I think that part of it, they've learned, they learned that now and, 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 um, and we're very good at that. Okay, very good. Mm. And Michelin star you got, mm -hmm. very good. Mm -hmm. um, how did that change your approach um, to the menu, to the food, to the operations, and to the business as a whole? Did it, it change? Or? It didn't change very no, much. We okay. changed when we did the refurbishment that I talked about. When we changed that, we changed our approach and our style, and we, we genuinely targeted being at, cooking at that level, operating at that level, with the hope that we would achieve a star. Uh, no, and not shy away from that. We were very targeted about that. I'd worked in that environment most of my life. We operate a restaurant which has got tablecloths and Zalto glassware and, and waiters in beautiful uniforms and, and minimal turn times and beautiful paper the menu's written on and we cook with wild turbot and lobsters. and You know, this is a restaurant that is operating at the very highest level. Mm. If it doesn't have a star, it's incredibly difficult to justify mm. all of that stuff and the price tag. And, and sure. but actually, what we didn't put our prices up, but essentially, it, it just it justified everything. It made everything come together. It was the final piece in the jigsaw. It was uh, an incredibly proud moment for me in my career to to get to that point. I'm very chuffed. Uh, big big box ticked in my life, mm. but also for the team as well to work towards that as a team. And to achieve that as a team is brilliant. Um, and I, st I still think Michelin holds the highest regard in terms of accolades there is. Mm. And um, I value it and I'm very grateful for, for having it. And, okay. um, and our business is all the better for it. Because it, it also gives us a, a sense of confidence mm. in what we do. We, we, not that we weren't confident before, but it genuinely gives us a sense of real belief in what we are and what we do and what we stand for. And the way that we, it's like someone saying, no, you are, you, that is right what you're doing is right. And you spend a lot of years thinking, is this right? You know, you, sometimes you're packed to the rafters, it's brilliant. And the other day, you're looking at 12 covers in the dining room back in the early days. And you sort of think, what, is this right? You know, we've investing a lot of time and energy into this. Is this right? Is it off kilter? And but, um, so much validation or yeah, staff approval. Yeah, it is a validation. Yeah. And, and that, that validation is really, um, is really helpful. It was really helpful for me, and it's it's helped us to just go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Would you go for two or three stars? Do you think, in, in Trinity or I somewhere think else? Think that's a different. I think that's a different ball game altogether. I'm yeah. I'm really happy with the fact that Trinity, b being a, a one star neighbourhood restaurant, you always run that fine line where you're trying to be as. It's like a lot of. It's like a home for some people to the restaurant because it's such a neighbourhood restaurant, mm. surrounded by all these chimney pots, and people pop in for a glass of wine, and they don't care if it's got a star. They don't care anything. They just pop in. They say hello to me. I said, "Cook me some dinner." You know, it's like that still. Right. Of course, there is the destination side of it, and of course, there is the high end side of what we do. But it is still just very comfortable with what it is. Mm. Moving that into a two star restaurant 
whether we could do that or not doesn't really come into question. It's more a case of, is Clapham ready for that? Mm. Are my guests happy? Would they be happy with that? What would the cost of running that kind of restaurant be and the impact therefore on the on the on the menu ticket price of that mm. establishment does it then does it then push itself above its market i i think about these things a lot yeah. but um but ultimately i just want us to be the very best we can possibly be and if that ends up going further then who knows but i certainly have the team to be able to do that sure but right now i love what we do and i'm very proud of it sure. and i have no no desire to sort of do anything crazy right now okay yeah. and again it sounds like you're fully consumer focused i guess on the, the commercial side of it yeah. so where to decide whether to go one route or the other it depends on the market and if the consumer sure. there is ready for it for sure wants it, I guess. for sure yeah. you know if you think we opened in 2006 in clapham if the restaurant was a, a mission star restaurant in 2007 it just wouldn't have worked yeah it would have closed sure so actually because Clapham was not ready for that then. Okay. You know, the price point was like £25 for the first four years, £25 for, for three courses. Yeah. You, 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 know, you, you wouldn't have worked. Yeah. So, okay. Now so, we are what we are. Okay. So you're operating kind of in a bit of a niche space. So like you said, it's, it's specialised neighbourhoods or a destination, and yeah. white tablecloth. Yeah. What's your opinion of the general high street and I guess kind of central town kind of areas? Uh, and the demise of the bigger chains, um, the struggles that are clearly out there. Um, I guess you're slightly separated from that, or, or do you have the similar I think struggles? We are, I think we are slightly separated, okay. um, but it's, it's tough. Yeah. You know, since we, we, we look back on it, I think we turn over something like a million pounds more now than we did th three or four years ago, but yet we make the same money. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Near enough, that's not quite crazy. like that. But that's not, nothing's changed in the business. Mm. That's, that's pension and rent and rates and service charge and now I have to pay for this, now my refuse charge has gone up, the minimum wage has gone up, the, mm. you know, everything has gone up mm. exponentially. And there's only so much you can charge a guest mm. to have dinner. And so actually the, you know, it, it is more difficult and more challenging and the margins are smaller for, for an independent local restaurant. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Um, and there's also no doubt that if I stripped all that away and we just became a kind of casual eatery, potentially we would have a much simpler life and it would be, we would probably make more money. But it's not really why I do it. Yeah. It's not what I do it for. Sure. I'm not interested in that. And actually, when I look at some of these restaurants that you know, that came in with this massive chunk of change and outbid me on these sites for Bistro Union and all that stuff, and now they're just in liquidation. Yeah. You just look at it and think, that's just rubbish. You, how much of the time have you focused on food and guest experience and quality and training and investing in people? Zero. Mm. And now you're, now you're just scrabbling around in the gutter, you know, in administration. Mm. It frustrates me that, we, that that was allowed, the landlords got greedy, mm. allowed that kind of stuff in and didn't look more deeply at the operation side behind it. Mm. Um, and I think the high street needs a clear out. Okay. I think it's time so for a big a clear out. Yeah, I think, yeah. It needs, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I think if you operate poorly, selfishly, you're not about giving to the guests, you're not about investing in people, you're not about buying slow, well, well produced, local food, cooking it properly. If you're not about that, okay. not, then, then you don't deserve to be on the high street like that. Okay. And, and there certainly shouldn't be 10 or 15 of them. No. Sure. No. Okay. And what about the guest experience then and consumers' palates and demands, mm -hmm. like the whole experiential social media side, even kind of the food people are looking to eat, mm -hmm. the trends of health and veganism. Mm -hmm. How have you seen that and how do you adopt to it? it is you've got to be you've got to have your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the market what what consumer change what they want and you've got to give them what they want ultimately trinity now has more vegetarian and a vegan dish than it than it ever has had mm. in its life 50 percent of the menu at browns is vegetarian mm. S sometimes upstairs is over 60 percent vegetarian Okay. 
and that's but we don't work it not as not like that though so that it the vegetable is the hero and then the seasoning the umami the extra level of flavor is brought in by protein based products which are easy to take off and leave that as a vegetarian dish mm. so we work much more like that so we definitely react to consumer demand my family eat vegetarian four days a week the whole team at trinity eat vegetarian monday to friday okay friday night they eat fish saturday they eat meat sunday they eat meat and then back to monday to friday again they eat vegetables only okay. vegetarian diet very good partly for health partly because it makes them think about cooking vegetarian food that way you just can't ignore it this is the way that the world is moving you can't ignore it yeah and it, like, like always, everything in moderation, right? I love, I want to eat meat. I'm not going to stop to eat meat. And I think, but, but I will only eat really good quality meat sometimes. And when I do, I'll really enjoy it. I'm not going to eat cheap factory meat six times a week just because it's just not really, sure. just, surely that's obvious, right? Okay. And how do you keep your finger on the pulse? So you eat out a lot or you're, you're reading kind of industry journals or publications yeah. or something or? Or a bit of everything. Yeah, I think yeah. a bit of everything. Um, I surround myself with, you know, my the team are very much got their finger on the pulse. Um, I do keep up with what's going on on social media. I read a lot. Um, I eat out as much as I possibly can. Um, I think that all of that stuff and your and your experience, you put all that into a melting pot. Yeah. And you hope that you kind of you you're in the mix. Okay. And what about social media? So so mm -hmm. internally. Um, so how do you manage that and how do you kind of see or do you see any impact of that any tangible results at all how important is it to the business really it's very hard it's the, it's the golden question isn't it? Yeah. it is you know that is there any tangible feedback yeah. does does that does that social media effort we put in social media does that convert to, t to bums on seats in the restaurant I've got no idea okay I could never answer that there's a big following people seem to like it it gets our message out there. It keeps us, keeps us in the mix, um, keeps our message going. And then other days I just think, actually, let's just bin the whole lot. Let's close the window. Because I hate the fact that people can get, they get a little sneak preview into something that actually should be such a lovely surprise. When they mm. come into the restaurant, all the wonderful things that we do that aren't obvious, and then the food arrives, I've never seen this dish before. I'm guilty, everyone's guilty of perhaps not going to a new restaurant because they've already seen all the food on Instagram sure. and looked in and thought and made their opinion about whether they like that food or not. Everyone's done that. Yeah. And, and actually it's really sad, it's really sad. Mm. I'd love us to be a restaurant where no one had a clue what the food looked like, ever. Mm. No photos, no, there was never a photo of it anywhere on the internet and you arrived and you got this food and it was a, and you had this amazing surprise because you'd never seen it before, looks amazing, and you get the full concept of where it comes from and you eat it and it delivers on the plate and that would be lovely, but that's unfortunately, those days are gone. Sure, sure. Um, so I think it's a sort of, it's a necessary evil, social okay. media. Um, having said that, we definitely, without a doubt, we can, we've messaged out about, you know, we've dropped a table of six tonight, the guest is sick, whatever and we've sold that table, that's happened multiple times. We, if we do our wine dinners or our Sunday lunch clubs at Trinity and we're a couple of, couple of covers short, we might put it out and we always do fill it back up again. Whether that's directly related or not, I don't know, but okay. um, I think it's a really helpful tool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I know you also, you're quite active kind of publicly as well. So you do some TV work, yep. your books, your writing, etc. cetera. Um, why do that? And again, do you see any benefits from that directly to the restaurant? Or is it something else? I think um, <coughs> you, the restaurateur game is as much about making sure you're giving the guests what they want as it is a marketing game. Mm. Especially nowadays with the volume of restaurants, the competitive nature of restaurants in London, unless you keep your name front and center, you will fall off the radar, mm. regardless of how good you are. Um, it's very difficult to keep yourself front and center. So actually, I do Saturday Kitchen t twice a year, that's it. A, because it's in Clapham, filmed in Clapham, and the the owner of the, comp of the, of the show is a friend of mine, and I like it, and I like the people, and it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant way to put yourself on the BBC in front of millions of people, 
and just keep that name out there. Mm. And there's no harm in doing that whatsoever. I really, in, the writing is different. I love the write, I love writing about food. I really enjoy it. Um, <clears throat> and, and I, and I, so that process I really enjoy. I, I enjoy articulating. Most of my communication is done, a lot of it's done by email, but only because so that I can sit there and write the email, reread it. I never send an, never ever send an email direct. I always put in a draft and I reread and, and I, because I can really get my point across if I write. So mm. I like writing, so that's slightly different. Um, and then yeah, I just think, I think as a chef, there is a little bit of it where if you reach a certain point, I think you've got a responsibility in this industry to give back mm. and to inspire new people and to bring people through and to, and to show the right way to do stuff. I think you've got a responsibility to do that. Mm. Um, so I take that quite seriously. Uh, and part of it is just just making sure we are out there as a company, as a brand, and people are still seeing us and, and making sure that message, that language, our values are, are out there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What are your plans for the future? And for, do you see plans for growing the business or what is that vision? Yeah, I think now we're in a really, we've reached a sort of a really, we've sort of come up to a point now we're sort of in a, on a really nice shelf where it all works. It all works. Don't do anything particularly stupid. Mm. This will this will keep going. Mm. The only the only value in Trinity is for me to own that restaurant for a long, 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 long time, and for it to just become an institutional restaurant that I can, I can still own. And, and there's, there's no there's no value in me selling the restaurant. That's not going to happen. So it's more about just owning the restaurant, making it as great as we can. We've reached this really nice point, a point at which now we can just assess any opportunity that comes along and say that's not right for us that's right for us never going to do that one you know if i'm going to do another restaurant the location and the site needs to be 110 percent i no longer am at a point now where i need to take a slightly ropey site because i can't quite afford to do a nice one and i have to fight tooth and nail to make that ropey site great and no i will only now take a good site sure um, so that's quite a nice place to be gives us options makes us be able to sit back a little bit look at what's going to happen next. Sure. Uh, I think there'll be some changes in the, in, in the UK in the next 18 months uh, on the high street, with landlords, with employment, all that side of it. There'll be some changes. There'll be some stuff that we've got to react to, but we, we're small, we're nimble as a company. We can make change. We can make quick, quick reaction. Uh, we can adapt to situations very quickly. I'm pretty good at that. And I, I feel confident that we will be able to ride through if you know with what we do uh, and with the notoriety and the and the reputation that we have um so now it's really just a case of let's see what comes along sure sure the business is kind of comfortable at this stage now yeah but not complacent yes sure um and i'm not and i'm but i'm not out there going okay what's next what's next where's my next 10 restaurants coming from no i'm out there going okay this is this is our nice look after the house sure and let's see what comes along sure it's a really interesting story and going back to even the time days you can very clearly see your growth even from speaking to you and your development and learnings mm. um, it's very interesting so what would you say is kind of if there was one kind of biggest thing you've learned throughout that whole time in business or even career is there one thing that has really stood you or kind of I think got you to where you are today it's, it's, it's very obvious but you know that the hard work blood, sweat and tears, the hard work that goes into a business in the beginning, people always overlook that. Okay. You, know, you, you often see that picture, that thing of the ballerina with the one, one shoe's really beautiful and pretty and amazing and one shoe's completely torn up and her toes, toes are broken and, and you see that and people only ever see the front, front mm. end of it, right? Mm. But actually there is, there is no shortcut to getting to, to success without putting in an awful lot of, a lot of hard, dark times and, and hard days, and, and, and um, there's no shortcut to that. Okay. Um, and a lot of people think there is. You can just get to the other end very quickly, and you can see when it's not underpinned with foundation and hard mm. work and graft and, and um, a little bit of sacrifice. Mm. Okay, so I guess that's the advice you would give somebody, maybe a food idea who wants to start something and start out in a restaurant, a grow restaurant group, it's, it's fundamental hard work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you think you're gonna work less than 70, 80 hours a week, yeah. do something else. Makes sense. 
Okay. Um, one final question. Mm. Who inspires you at the moment, or who do you think is kind of coming through that is going to be noteworthy or be a kind of success? Wow. Um, or even even somebody who's more established, who's been around a long time. Is there anybody you particularly kind of hold there's up there? So many great, yeah. great chefs in this country right now. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we are like the melting pot for food in this country right now. Sure. It's amazing. Um, and that, do you know what? The industry is such a lovely place right now. Yeah. You can't, I, I don't know who to say because there's so many great people. Sure. Look at what Tom Cage is doing, amazing. Gareth Ward, amazing. Jason Nathan is just doing brilliant stuff that is inspiring all other chefs uh, to, 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 to grow and be confident in what you do and, and, and that's amazing. There's so many, look, Claude, Claude Bendham, amazing. Claire Smythe, still love Brett Graham at the Lebrary still doing brilliant stuff. There's so many people that I look up to and just think those guys, are, this sure. country is amazing. It's yeah. a real honor to be a part of that. Yeah, very good. Well, it's been a pleasure, Adam. Thank you very much My for pleasure. coming on. Thank you, um, thanks for having really me. really admirable, I think, your, your level of humility. Mm. And you're even saying going into Browns and learning mm. um, so much there as well. I think um, and it's, it's a kind of tribute to yourself and even I guess it's contributing to your success as well, yeah. that you are still very, very open to learning. Mm -hmm. So absolute pleasure. Thank and, you. Um, very well done and best mm -hmm. wishes in the future. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us. Cheers.